0: Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. The holiday of Hanukkah is the best known of Jewish holidays in North America. That may be because in some years it is celebrated on the Hebrew calendar close to the date of Christmas on the solar calendar. It may be because many know that like Christmas, it is a holiday of giving of presents and receiving of presents primarily for children. It is a holiday of children's songs, pageants, and storytelling. It is a holiday of family gatherings, and so it is usually well known. But what is less known is the confusing and contradictory stories told about its origins. This morning, I'm going to share with you at least three versions of the Hanukkah story in hopes of sharing with you how this non-biblical holiday, a story not found in the Hebrew scriptures, but found in the book of Maccabees, Maccabees 1 and 2, and then in the later rabbinic uh, material known as the Gomorrah, uh, has emerged as a... uh, Minor holiday, but celebrated with major intentionality. So let me begin with the most traditional retelling of the Hanukkah story. Most of this material I'm going to share with you comes from uh, a website of a Hasidic movement known as Chabad. More than 2,000 years ago, there was a time when the land of Israel was part of the Syrian Greek Empire, dominated by Syrian rulers of the dynasty of the Seleucids. The Seleucids were one part of the Greek Empire that had emerged after the death of Alexander the Great. In order to relate the story that led up to Hanukkah, Let's start with Antiochus III, king of Syria, who reigned from about 222 to 186 before the common era. He waged war with King Ptolemy of Egypt over the possession of the land of Israel. Antiochus III was victorious, and the land of Israel was annexed to his Uh, Seleucid Empire at the beginning of the reign he was favorably disposed towards the Jews and accorded them some privileges later on however when he was beaten by the Romans and compelled to pay heavy taxes to Rome the very the burden fell upon the various peoples of his empire who were forced to furnish the heavy gold that was required of him by the Romans. When Antiochus III died, his son Seleucus IV took over, and he increased the impression oppression upon the Jews living in Israel. Added to the troubles from outside were the grave perils that threatened Judaism from within. The influence of Hellenists, people who accepted idol worship, and the Syrian Greek way of life was increasing. Yohanan, the high priest, foresaw the danger to Judaism from the penetration of Syrian Greek influence into the Holy Land. For in contrast to the ideal of outward beauty held by the Greeks and Syrians, Judaism emphasized truth and moral purity as commanded by God in the Holy Torah. The Jewish people could never give up their faith in God and accept idol worship of the Syrians, proclaimed Yochanan the high priest. Yochanan was therefore opposed to any attempt on the part of the Jewish Hellenists to introduce Greek-Syrian customs into the land. The Hellenists resented him. One of them told the king's commissioner that the treasury of the temple— was held great wealth the wealth in the treasury consisted of the contributions of the hash shekel made by all adult jews annually annually that was given for the purpose of the sacrifices on the altar as well as for fixing and improving the temple building another part of the temple treasury consisted of an orphan's funds which were deposited for them until they became of age The king of the Greek Syrians needed money in order to pay the Romans. He sent his minister, Helidropoulos, to take the money from the treasury of the temple. In a vain attempt, Yochanan, the high priest, begged him not to do it. The emissary from the king did not listen and entered the gate of the temple. But suddenly, according to this story, he became pale with fright. The next moment, he fainted and fell to the ground. After that, no one dared enter again. A short time later, Seleucus was killed and his brother Antiochus IV began to reign over Syria about 174 before the Common Era. He was a tyrant of rash, impetuous nature, contemptuous of religion and the feelings of others. He was called Epiphanes, meaning the God's beloved. Several of the Syrian rulers received similar titles, but a historian of his time, Polybus, gave him the epithet Epiminus, madman, a title more suitable to the character of this harsh and cruel king. Desiring to unify his kingdom through the medium of common religion and culture, Antiochus tried to root out the individualism of the Jews by suppressing all the Jewish laws. He removed the righteous high priest Yohanan from the temple in Jerusalem and in his place installed Yohanan's younger brother, Yehoshua, who loved to call himself by the Greek name of Jason, for he was a member of the Hellenist party and he used his high office to spread more and more of the Greek customs among the priesthood. Joshua, or Jason, was later replaced by another man, Manolias, who had promised the king that he would bring in more money to the treasury than Jason did. When yohanan the former high priest, protested against the spread of the Hellenist influence in the Holy Temple, The ruling high priest hired murderers to assassinate him. Antiochus was at that time once again engaged in a war against Egypt. It appeared to be a successful war, but messengers from Rome arrived and commanded him to stop the war and he had to yield to the power of Rome. Meanwhile, In Jerusalem, a rumor spread that a serious accident had befallen Antiochus. Thinking that he was dead, the people rebelled against the Syrian high priest Menelaus. The treacherous high priest then fled together with his cohorts. Antiochus returned from Egypt enraged by Roman interference with his plans for ambitious expansionism. When he heard what had taken place in Jerusalem, he ordered his army to fall upon the Jews. Thousands of Jews were killed. Antiochus then enacted a series of harsh decrees against the Jews. Jewish worship was forbidden. The scrolls of the law were confiscated and burned sabbat wrath and circumcision and dietary laws were prohibited under penalty of death even one of the respected elders of that generation rabbi eliezer a man of 90 was ordered by the servants of antiochus to eat pork so that others would do the same when he refused they suggested to him that they put pick up the meat to his lips to appear to be eating it But Rabbi Eliezer refused to do even that and was put to death. There were thousands of others who likewise sacrificed their lives. The famous story of Hannah and her seven children happened at that time. Antiochus men went from town to town, from village to village, to force the inhabitants to worship pagan gods. Only one refuge area remained. And that was the hills of Judea with its caves. But even there did the Syrians pursue the faithful Jews, and many Jews died a martyr's death. One day, the henchmen of Antiochus arrived in the village of Modein, where Matatiahu, the old priest, lived. The Syrian officer, according to this story, built an altar in the marketplace of the village and demanded that Matatiahu offer sacrifices to the Greek gods. Matatiyahu replied, I and my sons and my brothers are determined to remain loyal to the covenant which God made to our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thereupon, a Hellenistic Jew approached the altar to offer a sacrifice. Matatiyahu grabbed his sword and killed him. And his sons and friends fell upon the Syrian officers and men. They killed many of them and chased the rest of the way. They then destroyed the altar that had been built in Moda'in. Matatiahu knew that Antiochus would be enraged when he heard what had happened. He would certainly send an expedition to punish him and his followers. Therefore, Matatiahu left the village of Moda'in and fled together with his sons and friends to the hills of Judea. All loyal and courageous Jews joined them. They formed legions, and from time to time, they left their hiding places to fall upon enemy detachments and outposts, and to destroy the pagan altars that were built by order of Antiochus. Before his death, Matatiahu called his sons together and urged them to continue to fight in defense of God's Torah. He asked them to follow the counsel of their brother, Shimon the Wise, in waging warfare, he said the leader should be Judah the strong. Judah was called Maccabee, a word composed of the four initial letters of the Hebrew words, Mi kamocha be'elihim Adonai, Who is like you, O God? Antiochus sent his general apollonius to wipe out Judah and his followers. The Maccabees, though greater in number and equipment than their adversaries, the Syrians were defeated by the Maccabees. and Antiochus sent out another expedition, which was also defeated. He realized that only by sending an all powerful army could he defeat the Jude, Judah and his brave fighting men. An army consisting of more than 40,000 men swept the land. When Judah and his brothers heard of that, they exclaimed, let us fight unto death in defense of our souls and our temple. The people assembled in Mitzpah, where Samuel, the prophet of old, had offered prayers to God. And after series of battles, the war was won. A major victory for the Jewish people. Now the Maccabees returned to Jerusalem to liberate it. They entered the temple and cleared it of the idols placed there by the Syrian vandals. Judah and his followers built a new altar, which he dedicated on the 25th of the month of Kislev in the year 139 BCE. Since the golden menorah had been stolen by the Syrians, the Maccabees now made one of cheaper metal, when they wanted to light it, they found only a small cruise of pure olive oil bearing the seal of the high priest Yochanan. It was sufficient to light for only one day, but by a miracle of God, it continued to burn for eight days till the new oil was made available. That miracle proved that God had again taken his people under protection and, And in his memory, the rabbis appointed these eight days for annual thanksgiving and for lighting candles. Well, that's the traditional story. That's the story that if you ask your Jewish friends, they are more than likely to tell you. But as one radio announcer once said, That's not the whole story. So now I want to begin with a different understanding of the Hanukkah story. And you will see how Jewish religion, Jewish faith and Jewish facts interact with each other and interact with some other surrounding issues of calendarization to produce the holiday of Hanukkah. The real story of Hanukkah begins with a revolt for reasons that would resonate today. Gross inequality and religious coercion. Rather less well known is that the holiday originally had nothing to do with the miraculous oil supply, but rather involved ousting foreign ruling and slaughtering Hellenized Jews. Back in the days before the Maccabean Revolt, Judea was semi-autonomous, but firmly under the control of the Seleucid Empire, led by Antiochus IV Epiphanes. The moneyed elite of Judah had become largely Hellenized, taking up the dominating culture of the day. But not everyone enjoyed the comforts of modernity. The inequality led Jewish zealots to oppose the sweeping cultural changes in Judea. The alarmed Hellenized Jews called for the emperor's help. And the emperor did send Jew troops to enrich Hellenization even further. Thus the war known to history as the Maccabean Revolt began. After some years of guerrilla warfare, under the leadership of Judah Maccabee, Jewish independence was regained. Jerusalem was freed, the Hellenized Jews were slaughtered, and the temple was rededicated. By the way, the slaughtering of the Hellenized Jews was done by the Maccabees. That, we are told, took place on the winter solstice on the 25th day of Kislev in 160 before the Common Era. The latter book of Maccabees 2, written in Alexandria in Greek in 124 BC, tells us the holiday was celebrated as a second Sukkot. That may clearly explain why the holiday lasts eight days. That is simply the length of Sukkot, which is a harvest festival. And possibly Hanukkah began as one as well. Some scholars suggest that the holiday coincides with the end of the olive-making season, olive oil-making season, which could explain the oil-centeredness of the holiday. Moving much later in time into the first of the rabbinic books known as the Mishnah, which was completed in 220 of the Common Era, almost 100 years later, but encompasses tradition-spanning generations, Hanukkah is mentioned only in passing. There is no special section. Some think that it because it wasn't an important holiday back then. Others suggest that Hanukkah was so widely celebrated that it wasn't even worth mentioning. So what does the Mishnah tell us? It is that messengers were sent out to far reaches to tell the people in advance when the holiday was to be celebrated. During the celebration, mourning practices were forbidden and special Bible portions were read. There is only one reference to candle lighting, and even that is in the context of a very small legal matter. The bottom line is, The defendant was not found liable for damage caused by a fire. He accidentally started when lighting a candle at the entrance to his shop for Hanukkah. No mention of the miracle. Little or no mention of Judah Maccabee. Nor does the Talmud compiled about 500 CE, but containing writings spanning centuries before, have a special section called Hanukkah but it does provide more information on the holiday. This is where we first learn, nearly 750 years after the event, that the candles were lit for eight days. But why? Today, only one explanation is offered. The miracle of the oil, enough for one day, but lasting for eight. The Talmud, however, offers other possibilities. The Talmud suggests that it took eight days to get oil in from the countryside or that there were eight spikes found in the temple. That's what it says in the book of Maccabees, written about the same time, which were converted into a mor- menorah. The eight-day progression of the candle lighting also appears in the Talmud for the first time. But today's practice of starting with one candle and a lighter candle known as the Shamas, and building to seven and the shamas was not necessarily the norm. That is the norm introduced by the Pharisees, that each day an additional candle should be let. But the Sadducees argue that one should start with a full menorah and take one away each day. And as usually the case, rabbinic Judaism sided with the Pharisees. During the time of late antiquity in the early Middle Ages, the liturgy of the holiday, of which there was no liturgy in rabbinic time, started to take form. Several prayers were composed for the holiday. One is entitled Al-Hanisim, about the miracle. The anonymous composer of this prayer was led to error by a book on the Maccabees called Migilat Antiochus, which is riddled with factual mistakes about this holiday. The song Moatsur, which is traditionally sung after the candle lighting, was composed in the 13th century, sometime during the Middle Ages. It became a tradition for Jewish women to eat dairy products on the holiday in recognition of the heroism of Judith, the Jewish heroine of the book of Judith. That custom continues in some Jewish communities. And by, I'm sure you know that the book of Judith, like the book of Maccabees, was not included in the Hebrew Bible and only appears in the Apocrypha. In the Christian Bible, the Apocrypha is considered part of the Holy Text, but not in the Hebrew Bible. So this practice was in recognition of the heroism of of Judith. Notice the similarity of name between Judah and Judith. And Judith had become associated with the Maccabees, even though according to the account of the Apocryphal Book of Judith, she lived hundreds of years before them. At any rate, according to the story of Judith, when infiltrating the enemy camp, Judith, for reasons of kashrut, ate no meat. She confined herself to dairy products while she ingratiated her way into the tent of the enemy General Holofernes, who she beheaded, thus saving her people from certain destruction. In Eastern Europe, the dairy diet took shape of eating potato pancakes that were really cheesy pancakes. Only later in the mid-19th century, when Russian farmers, Russian Jewish farmers began growing potatoes, did the notion of potato pancakes take place and become part of the tradition. Now, there are many um, traditions, but Hanukkah has always been a minor holiday in Jewish tradition. That's because while other holidays are sanctioned by the Bible and thus are seen as divinely ordained, Hanukkah is ordained by the rabbi. I want to suggest it seems to have gained its importance in the United States and North America, mainly because its position so close to... Christmas. Now, you'll have seen two different stories here, right? The story of traditional Judaism, that this was a fight for the soul of Judaism, that this was an attempt by the Orthodox Jews to ensure that Hellenistic Judaism um, did not take over Israel and that the um, evil Syrian Greek Antiochus, the king of Greek Syria, came in to support the Hellenizing. But the other alternative, of course, is that Hellenizing was not necessarily an evil. Alexander had Hellenized a great part of the Middle East. He had Hellenized a great part of Europe And those traditions had not been destroyed. This was a power struggle between those who were in the high priesthood and those who were in the lower classes. This was a struggle between those who were in the in crowd and those who were in the out crowd. As I've also suggested, the traditions that we uh, associate with Hanukkah, the lighting of the candles, the potato latkes, anything eaten fried, the playing of the game dreidel, these were all much later traditions that were not mentioned until hundreds, if not thousands of years later. And of course, one could ask the question about the date. Is it possible? That uh, Hanukkah, which is celebrated on the 25th of Kislev, which is a winter holiday, but which the story of the book of Maccabees tells us really um, took place during the fall and summer was assigned to this winter section of the calendar uh, because of the winter solstice. In fact, there is a great deal of evidence that in much of eastern Mediterranean, the Middle East, the winter solstice is a time for imploring the sunlight to return and celebrating its readiness to do so. In Rome, the 25th of December was the birthday of the unconquerable sun. In Persia... At the winter solstice, the common people set up bonfires and their rulers set birds afloat bearing torches of dried grass. It is a short leap to surmising that the Syrian Greeks may have chosen the 25th of Kislev as a time to desecrate the temple by making their own sacrifices because it was a time of solar and lunar darkness, the time of the winter solstice and the waning of the moon. And it is a short leap to surmise that the Maccabees, when they took the anniversary of that day as a day of rededication, were rededicating not only the temple but the day itself to Jewish holiness, and were capturing a pagan solstice festival uh, in order to make it a day of God's victory over paganism. Even the lighting of candles for Hanukkah fits the context of surrounding torchlight honors for the sun. Hanukkah. It will be celebrated beginning uh, December 11th in the evening, December 12th in the evening, December 12th in the evening of this year, and Jews will gather around their menorah and they will only tell one story, the story of the miracle, the story that's repeated in the prophetic version, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit alone, says the Lord. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. Have a good day and shalom.